So recently I came up with a new business idea, which is a web app, a freemium service or SaaS product that I'm hoping to create in the future. But contrary to what most people would advise me to do, I'm going to share with you the idea in great detail in this episode. All this and more on The Rightly Show. It's the program that helps you start and grow a brand-centric online business through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas McGee and this is The Rightly Show. Okay, so the topic for today that we're going to talk about is ideas and more particularly why they don't matter. So that might seem a little bit counterintuitive, but it's one of those things where we're all coming up with ideas all the time. And so one of the things that you'll experience or I've experienced and most of us have experienced is Uh, encountering somebody who has a new, great, innovative idea. And what you'll find most of the time is that these particular people who have this really great idea for a new app or for a new business or a new blog or, you know, a new service or product is that they don't want to share it with anyone. It's too great. It's too important. Uh, If you're going to, if I'm going to tell you about this great idea, you have to sign an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, and you know we'll, we'll talk about it behind closed doors. But when it comes to ideas, I tend to take the opposite approach. And so much so, I've actually a little while back had an idea for a new product, a new service. Uh, it's going to be a new web app. And I'm actually going to share it with you in detail in this episode um, so that if you want to, you can steal this idea. You can beat me to the punch. You can do it instead of me. And if you do, I'll pay you for this service or this product because as we'll get to later on in this episode, it's not the idea that matters. It's the particular implementation. Okay. But before I get to that, I wanted to tell you about something that we've got available for you over at Rightly TV. I'm going to leave links to it in today's show notes, which you can find uh, over at rightly.show/79. Uh, but it's a YouTube video I created a little while back about how to set up WordPress hosting. So a lot of times what we encounter, particularly with our clients or people we work with over at Notable Themes, is that it's really hard to find a good, reliable uh, hosting solution for WordPress. So I'm not going to get too nerdy with you in this episode, but there's a lot of hosting services that get provided but are get uh, kind of recommended by other people in the industry or marketers or bloggers that are what is typically referred to as uh, grid hosting or shared hosting. And they're not necessarily tailored to a WordPress environment. What this means is that that can open you up to some security issues. Your site will generally run slower, particularly if there's another user on the server who's hogging a lot of the bandwidth that could start to affect your site's performance. So what I always recommend is a site called WP Engine. They've got some of the fastest, most reliable hosting that I have ever worked with. I recommend them to all of my clients And we've got a special link, which will give you a discount if you would like to sign up as well. So you can go to rightly.show slash hosting, uh, or you can just head on over to rightly.show slash 79, where you can check out a free video I uh, I put together, which will actually show you how to set up your own WordPress hosting in under 10 minutes. They also have some really useful built in, um, 
site migration tool. So if you're already using another host, you're not happy with them, migrate over to WP Engine, get a faster, more secure website with automated backups all built in. Again, that's rightly.show slash 79 to check out the video, or you can head on over to rightly.tv slash hosting if you'd like to get that uh, discount to signing up for a new WP Engine account. Have a question for the program? Call 844-RIGHTLY to record your question, and we would be happy to consider featuring it in a future episode. That's 844-744-4859 or 844-RIGHTLY. If you would rather write in, feel free to email show at rightlydesigned.com. Okay, so today's main topic we're going to tackle today is all about ideas and why they don't matter. Okay, so to start with, start with as promised, I'm going to give you an overview of an idea that I had recently that I hope at some point to put into practice to actually create, uh, but it is not it's not a it's not an immediate pressing idea. It's just something that I would like to do eventually. So this is a business idea. This is a website uh, web app idea, and what I was going to call it, or what I'm planning on calling it, is Dunex.co, which is the actual domain of the site. So one of the things that I've experienced as a a challenge with particular productivity apps is that they all, and productivity systems and tools and even notebooks and journals, is that they all do a really bad job of giving you a bird's eye view of everything that you have to do, right? So let's say you use a like, you know, Todoist or some sort of app like that. It's great at organizing all the tasks that you have to do. You can see everything that you have to do today in one big list. However, it doesn't give you a good bird's eye view of all the projects that you have to do or the big like the big ideas or goals that you have to achieve this quarter. Something that I really like and I use and I've got again a video over at Rightly TV all about this uh, is the full focus planner. I think out of all the productivity uh, tools I've ever used, the full focus planner does the best job of handling this. They've got something called the daily big three. But The only challenge I have is that there is a level of organization from a digital perspective that is really challenging when it comes to bird's eye view. I need something digital uh, to kind of coincide with the full focus planner, one place where I can organize all my big ideas. Now, some people will say, okay, well, Todoist or Things or Asana or Basecamp or all these things enable you to view a big list of all of your projects. Yes, that is true. But most of them, like let's use like Todoist as an example. Todoist will show a list on the left-hand sidebar of all of your projects that are currently active. That's nice, but how how am I to determine which of those things have had an action taken on, on them last? Like if you're, particularly if you are handling client projects, how do you know the last thing that was done on that project? You click on the project, you click on the history, You look at the tasks that have been completed, and especially if you're managing a team, who completed it? Okay, what was the date it was completed? What's the next thing that has to be done? Answering all those questions in every existing task manager I have ever used takes time and is very cumbersome and complicated. That's because most task managers are task-oriented, as you might imagine, and not goal or project-oriented. So what is is dunex.co going to be? It's going to not be a task manager. It's not even going to be a project manager. It's going to be a next thing I need to do manager. So 
what it's going to be is you're going to be able to create a list of your open projects, big ideas, goals. So for example, uh, grow my email list to 10,000 subscribers or, you know, client B's website or, uh, you know, uh, client C's accounting project. Big ideas, big things that take a long time to complete. It'll be a list of all your biggest projects. Then there will not be a list of tasks. There will not be a list of things that you have to do to complete that project. If you need that, you can use a task manager because there are a million of them. Instead, this will have a slot where you can put one line item. And that one line item is this. What is the next action? What is the next thing I have to do in order to move that forward? Then you're going to be able to drag and drop and rearrange each project based upon their complexity. And the idea is I'm going to work in a feature that you can uh, have this, the web app notify you when a project has been sitting for a long, for longer than a particular period of time. So if you've got a project that hasn't had any action taken on it for the last seven days, you can have it uh, pop up a little web browser notification to say, hey, this project's been sitting for a while. Do you need to take a next action on this? Then what it's going to have as well is a big, bold, uh, stylistic design. And I may even actually post a screen cap of the UI, the user interface on today's show notes, which if you want to take a look, head on over uh, to rightly.show slash 79 if you want to see what this actually looks like. Uh, but what it's going to be is a big, bold area that has the uh, the next thing that you're, you need to do. So Ideally, what you would do is you would set this up as your homepage. So every single time you open up a new browser or next time you want to go check Facebook, it'll pop up big and bold. Hey, client sees website, create the initial mockups. Big, bold, and in your face. So you are reminded as you are getting, and I'm talking to myself in large part in this as well, as you are going to check Facebook that next time. Uh, instead, what you'll be reminded of is, hey, I'm supposed to be working on client B's website, or I'm supposed to be working on client C's tax return, or I'm supposed to be working on client D's you fill in the blank. So it accomplishes another a number of things. Uh, it's going to, A, give you a bird's eye view of all the projects that you have sorted in a way uh, that is going to be relevant to when they need to be done. B, they're going to show you the next action, the one thing that needs to be done to move that thing forward. And see, it's going to do all that without the clutter of 5,000 tasks uh, in your face that have to be done. Those can be handled by a task management system. It's made to simplify and give you a daily place to check all the big things that you need to do so that none of them are falling through the cracks. Okay, so you might be asking, that sounds like an interesting idea. What's the business model? Okay, A, it's going to be freemium, which means you're going to be able to create uh, an account for free. Then eventually I'm going to work in a pro version, which will probably be like $9.99, $10 a month, or maybe $20 a month, depending upon the what's going to work for the particular app itself. And what it's going to be is that your the pro version will include things like team management. You'll be able to create things called buckets where you can have uh, uh, you know particular lists of or categories, a way to categorize uh, your particular uh, your particular uh, list of big projects or big ideas. There'll be other uh, features as well, such as changing the color scheme, uploading your own background photo, making it more dynamic and everything else. And then, of course, it'll work on iOS, Android, pretty much any mobile browser, that sort of thing. So again, freemium, so free to sign up. So anybody can sign up for the basic idea, the basic uh, version of the web app, and then you'd be able to upgrade if you wanted to to a pro version, which would be more relevant for people who are using this uh, particularly in business or teams. So again, if you'd like to check out the 
uh, the actual first rough mock-up I've created of this particular web app, this idea, this business, you can head on over to rightly.show slash 79, where I'll leave it there. Okay, so you might be wondering right now, why did I just share all of this with you? Doesn't this mean that somebody, if this were a good idea, could just take everything, including the mock-up, and literally steal this? And the answer is yes. Anybody could do that. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is that ideas don't matter because 99.999% of ideas, including the good ones, don't get done. And even if they do, they don't get done well. So what I wanted to kind of illustrate and chat with Casey, again, check out caseyproctor.com, is why ideas don't matter and the things that result that revolve around an idea that actually do. Thank you for that lovely intro. Um, one of, so one of the things I think is a natural response, uh, Thomas, when you know you have an idea is there's two, and I feel like they happen really close together. Uh, is oh my gosh, this is a great idea, and then second is really quickly followed by oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to steal this. And I think it's important to like to recognize that there are some ideas that have like become like society changing platforms. Let's take Facebook, for example. Uh, you know, like it would, you know, if you have an idea of like, if you have an idea of that, of that scale, protecting it is super important. But at the same token is like, if you're, why is it in, why is it critical to take a step back and assess the relationship between the idea and protecting it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things that, like, here's kind of a shorthand answer, uh, a quicker, more succinct answer to ideas and protecting it, is that ideas are kind of like a flame in that they do better with oxygen. They do better when they're, when they're exposed to people because people are going to give you, especially particular pe- particularly people who are not like, you know, your immediate friends and family are going to give you some pretty honest feedback. I'm going to tell you, yeah, but, you know, this product does the same thing, but better. Or, yeah, but I just use this or I just do that. Some of that is not only uh, not only things that you would need to research or learn more about to find out whether or not your product is even viable. But even if it is viable, that's going to refine that idea like crazy. People are going to come back and they're going to say, yeah, well, I wouldn't use it, you know, in this situation. Or I don't think it would work for this. That gives you a creator as a creator two different roads to go down. Either A, okay, well, I need to tweak this because this is the type of person I'm making this for. Or B, okay, that's fine. It's not for you. So one of the most valuable things that you will find far more valuable than an NDA is the way that you actually execute upon that. And the way that you execute upon that is going to be improved uh, if people are exposed to it. And one of the things that it's kind of tough because, you know, there's going to be that one in one million chance where somebody comes up with a good idea, somebody steals it and becomes a millionaire and you become embittered, you know, you know, forever thereafter. But the way I look at it is if somebody does take an idea that I come up with and they go and they create the thing, it's like at the end of the day, let's say they make millions of dollars because of this particular idea. At the end of the day, there's two different ways you can look at that. Either A, you lost this massive opportunity to become wealthy or create this this amazing thing. It's like, 
I personally just don't care about that. I mean, maybe some people do. I just don't care. The way I look at it is, hey, that person made it for me. I didn't have to make it. <laughs> Instead of me having to invest all this time and this money and this energy and to make it, I can just pay them $9.99 and just use the thing that they made because they did it. And I can rest easy knowing that, hey, I actually helped create this thing. Even if it was done illegitimately or, you know, even if it was done in bad faith, they stole the idea and they tweaked it slightly and then decided to use it and become, I don't care. Like as at the end of the day, it's the, it's making things better. It's improving things at the end of the day. Uh, And in terms of, even if you're really stead set on creating your own version of thing X or app Y or book C, like even if you're dead set on creating that thing, It's going to get better the more people that know or see about it or kind of rationalize it with you, not worse. In fact, if you confine it to a tiny boardroom, the chance of that thing being good or valuable at the end of the day is significantly lower than if the people at the coffee shop uh, hear about it and know about it. And again, this particularly comes... uh, this it's important to when you're kind of rationalizing or refining or coming up with an idea. It's not only important that other people hear it, but it's the particular people who hear it. Um, the value the value of the feedback I get from let's say my mailman as opposed to somebody who's in my target market is black and white. So I th- again I want to come back to that initial point that I made, which is that. Ideas do better with air. They do better with oxygen. The more people that interact with them, the better, not not less. I love that analogy or the illustration of an idea as a flame or a spark. And without that exposure to oxygen, it will burn out. Like it'll, it'll, not only is it, you know, sm- not only does it stay small or bad, but it will, it can actually die. And yep. that, activity of exposing your idea to other people and bringing other people in and having it spread. Like if you, if you have an idea and you think about it as a flame, you want it to become a forest fire. Like you want it to spread like far and wide and hot and like to just continue burning and to continue to spread. You don't want to keep it contained or like, you know, if you, if you have a candle and you like put, uh, you know, like a bowl over it or, or a cup over it or something like it's going to actually deprive that idea. It'll deprive that flame of oxygen and it will burn out very, yeah. like very, very quickly. And I think that there's, you know, um, Jeff Goins draws this analogy of a cave. And when people have like a book idea or, you know, a blog idea or something, they will, you know, they'll go it, quote unquote, into a cave and then they'll work for weeks or months or even years, you know, writing this, uh, you know, writing this book in anonymity and in obscurity and, you know, devoid of exposure to other people and, you know, sharing that idea with anyone. And then they'll come out with this finished, you know, in their eyes, masterpiece, this masterwork that they have dedicated all this time and sweat and sometimes blood, you know, into this, into us idea, into this work and no one cares or, or it doesn't resonate with anyone. And so what are some, what are some benefits? What are, what are ways in which like I, an idea spreading and like that fire 
you know, turning into a raging forest fire. How does that, how does that benefit your idea? So not, not just the spreading, but how does that exposure actually improve your idea? Yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great question as well. And that's one of the, uh, you know, the unforeseen consequences of actually coming up with an idea is particularly if you have an audience or you're starting to build one, if you come up with one good idea, like let's, let's put this in the example, because I think this would be practical for a lot of people. Let's say you work in an office environment and you come up with a really great idea and it's kind of risky and you, you go to your supervisor or to the manager who you work with in your department, you say, and you do all the work. You outline it. You say, this is going to improve here. This is going to make sales better. This is going to improve our brand equity or whatever it is that you're doing in that particular department. It's kind of risky. It's out of the box. Let's try this, you know, X, Y, Z. And you come to the department head and you say, hey, look, if it doesn't work, you can say, I tried it. And, uh, you know, I'll kind of take the blame as kind of an underling. If it does work, you get credit for it. As the supervisor, you're the one who decided to initiate it and it works really well. So let's say it works great. That uh, that supervisor ends up looking really smart. Uh, prices or, uh, you know, sales increase. The brand that you are currently representing uh, has a net positive. Uh, again, sales increase, better product quality, everything else as, uh, you know, as a result of the campaign or whatever it is that you are creating. Now look at it from that supervisor's perspective. Who are they going to look to the next time they need a new innovative idea? Who's, who are they going to look to to lead a big and important project? Now, that's in an office environment. Imagine how much more that would apply to somebody who's just out there independently. Because one of the things that, like, one of the quotes I heard more recently, I think it was Michael Hyatt who said this, is like, when it comes down to leadership, a leader isn't necessarily somebody who's quote-unquote in charge. A leader is somebody who goes first, who tries it, who takes the risk, who does the thing. And I think the same thing applies to, to creating an idea is that if you go out there and you fall on your face and you make this thing so that everybody can see it, uh, people are, are at least going to respect the fact that you were willing to do what other people wouldn't. Or alternatively, it works really well or somebody takes the idea or somebody else or other people start copying what you did. Everybody knows where that came from right? Everybody knows where that, even if people steal the idea and you kind of get lost in the fray, at the same time, people still know. Uh, people still know where to turn, who to look to the next time they're looking for a big idea there. The very reason we, a lot of us know who Seth Godin is, isn't because of a particular product he made or idea that, that was worth millions of dollars. A lot of it, more of it has to do with the ideas that he spread for free on his blog. Same thing applies to us as people who are content creators or are creating brands or businesses. I love that Seth Godin example. And one of the things that I like, you know, when I'm talking to someone and they're, you know, is this when they're actually struggling, struggling, not with the sharing part of the idea, but whether or not to, you know, even pursue an idea is that there's always room for great work. And so, you know, as a, as an exercise, uh, the next time, you know, people listening to this, the next time you get out of your car to when you're at the store or you're going into work or whatever, like the first person you see, ask them if they know who Seth Godin is. And nine and a half times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, they're going to say no. And to me, 
that's mind boggling because within the sphere of the people who I interact with online and the people who I follow, like Seth Godin is a significant influencer. But if you take one step back away from that context, you know, statistically almost you could say no one knows who Seth Godin is. Like he's he's a best-selling author. He has sold millions of copies of his books in total. And yet there are billions of people in the world. And that like turns over each year as people new people are born and people pass away. And so, you know, like that's actually a really small number, the people who actually know and follow Seth Godin's stuff and know who he is. And so there is there is always room for great work. There's room for great books. There's room for great ideas. And so you know, if if the reason you are apprehensive or hesitant to share your ideas because you don't like you're you're worried that, you know, it's already been thought of or it's already been done. There is room like how many how many productivity apps are out there? You know, how many different task management, project management, to do list style apps and notebooks and, you know, printables are are out there in the world. And yet there is there is always an opportunity for a new approach, a new perspective, a new way of doing it. And so, you know, Thomas, when you you know were talking about and sharing your idea, like you're you're solving for a specific problem. Like this isn't you know the the do next dot co, um, you know, web app is designed, it, you know, the concept is designed to solve a very specific problem, and it's a problem that I have. Like I'm really excited to test out this service, um, you know, and and potentially pay for the service because you're not you're approaching it in a new and a different way. Um, the other thing is, you know, wh- when it comes to like sharing an idea or like having someone steal it, I like that you have the approach of, you know, if someone wants to steal this, just this, you know, do next idea from you and make it better, you're happy to pay that $10 a month to do that. Cause they've like, they've done all that hard work for you. Um, how, how do you go about sharing your idea? Yeah, that's a oh, great question because there's a lot of different ways that you can go about this. And I think the best way is actually just kind of talking to people about it. So I've got different, you know, people in the in the industry or clients I work with or people who are now friends who I just kind of chat with from time to time and just kind of tell them about the idea. And my my usual, like when it comes to ideas for myself, there's kind of two factors is A, how excited do the people I'm talking to get about this? If I get a kind of like, yeah, that sounds cool. Or, you know, that sort of thing. That's like, okay, let's try the next person and see what the next reaction is. If I get like a, oh yeah, I would, I would totally use that like today. Like if I get that kind of reaction, that's at least a hint in the right direction. Uh, and then of course, the next thing, of course, you alluded to it earlier, Casey, which is that people, there's a lot of things that people say that they would be interested in, but at the end of the day, you know, the the big test is whether or not they'd actually pay for it, whether or not they'd actually take the step and sign up for it. And so that's the biggest test. That's the biggest validator for a product. In fact, one of the best avenues I've seen, I think Pat Flynn does this really well with a lot of the products that he has, is creating a really beta version of your product. And then, uh, or not even beta, even just a pre-launch or founders club or something like that, that provides people the opportunity to pay you something in order to be a part of the initial release of that product and gauge that and, and don't even do it to your whole audience, depending on how big your audience or your client list is. Use that as an avenue to gauge the interest. 
Because if people are willing to pay you just for the idea to be developed, this is why Kickstarter has become so prevalent in today's culture, then you know you've got something. Now, this is for a completely different episode, but Kickstarter in and of itself is largely useless, except for some major major exceptions, except to people who have an audience. So, but that's a completely separate issue. That's one of those things where one in a thousand uh, people without an audience create something on Kickstarter that takes off. It's the people with an actual audience who are, you know, already regularly creating something of value uh, for people. But even in those cases, even if you do have an audience, the best way to determine whether or not an, an, an idea is worthy of uh, creating is A, if people will pay you for it, uh, or B, if it's not something that you're selling, is will people share it? Will people spread it? Will people print out that that blog post and hand it to someone or share it on Facebook? Or will somebody buy an extra copy of your book? Books are actually a great example. Is that bestsellers typically are not books that are bought by a lot of people. I mean, they are, but they're more books that are bought in bulk by a lot of people. So it's the people who buy, you know, 20 copies of the book and hand it out to their colleagues. Or if it's a personal development book, it's a book they buy 10 of, hand it it out to their friends and family. Good ideas, uh, good ideas naturally spread. And that's one of the ways, those are one of the two ways that you can tell whether or not you have something worth pursuing is A, will people pay you money for it? And B, will they spread it? Will they share it? Uh, in either of those cases, you know you're probably onto something worth pursuing. I love that, and I think it's really you know those are two really great elements. And you, how do you take your idea and make it spreadable? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it just comes down to the format, the place in which you're working. So again, if we're talking about a blog. You start it with the 10, 20 people on your email list. See if it goes from there. If you don't have a list, uh, share it with people you can share it with. Uh, So if you can't find someone within your target market, talk to the person at Starbucks. Literally like, hey, I'll buy you like uh, Pat. uh, Pat Flynn's actually pretty well known for doing this in the sense that uh, he actually talked about this in his book, Will It Fly? Which is that he'll actually stop people at Starbucks and say, hey, can I just have like a minute of your time? I'll buy you your coffee. Uh, let me tell you this about this idea t- and let me know what you think. And so he would literally do that. He'd tell people about an idea that he was working on and he'd buy the person's coffee for them. And it would start there. Uh, so you can even start with friends and family and move on from there. Another example I've heard is, you know, there's uh, particularly in the, the book publishing industry is that people will, you know, they'll write a novel or something and they've been working on it for 10 years and they just you know, it's not quite ready yet. You know, it's not quite, you know, to the level where they want to, uh, you know, they can't find the right agent to actually pick up the book. They can't, an editor is, hasn't been interested in it, uh, any of the publishing companies. And so it just sits there on the hard drive collecting digital dust. Nobody ever sees it and never hits the light. No, never sees the light of day. So then the solution to that problem is to take that, uh, put it into a basic PDF form, and then send it to 10 people you know and just say, hey, you don't have to read the whole thing. Maybe just read like the first couple of chapters and just let me know what you think. If they share it with 10 other people, uh, again, 
maybe it'll spread from there. It's just a matter of getting the work out there to start with. And then maybe it spreads from there so much to the point where somebody will want you to write and create a second book. And at that point, you've established a list of people, of testimonials, you can hand over to uh, a, a book agent and somebody who works for a publisher that you can demonstrate for them the interest in this book that they can then take and work into a proposal. And then that could be your first book publishing contract. But it all starts with some initial action, taking like not being afraid that somebody's going to take this and steal it, rather seeing it as from the perspective of this idea is better when more people know about it. Uh, so that's kind of inherent in determining whether or not your your idea is worth pursuing. Austin Cleon talks about in his book, uh, Show Your Work, like the like practical aspects of showing your work and sharing it with people because it pulls them in to the idea process and like validating it and tweaking it and molding it over time because very infrequently, you know, does, is, does the end result match up a hundred percent with that initial idea you know yes. even even yourself when you first you know thought up you know when the idea for the do next.co like first entered your mind you're like oh what about this like what you have you know what you're formulating now is you're you know creating you know mock wireframes and things like that it probably you know looks significantly or at least noticeably different than that first iteration of the idea when it first popped into your mind right yeah totally 100 percent yeah. And this is, you know, sharing it on the podcast and, you know, um, you know, allow it, you know, as time goes, allowing people to see a preview of it or, you know, like using Pat Flynn's model of reaching out to a few founders and giving them the opportunity to, you know, validate your idea by paying money up front before it actually publicly releases is a process in our practices of showing your work and, you know, inviting people in to participate with you on this journey. And, uh, there was something that, uh, I saw on Twitter the other day, Daniel Decker, he said, don't worry about people stealing your ideas, worry about the day they stop. And so we've talked a little bit about, you know, how to spread your idea, but what makes an idea spreadable in the first place? Yeah, I think a, a lot of it, I, like it's, I know it sounds like kind of a, a simple answer and you can kind of unpack it a little bit, but the thing that makes an answer true or uh, something that makes an idea truly spreadable is just a good idea. Something that is a, nif- a different way of tackling an, an age old problem. I mean, just think about Uber. That's all Uber is. Uber is just a taxi service with uh, independent contractors and a really, uh, you know, easy to use app. In fact, I heard a, an interview a while back, uh, with, uh, one of the, the founders of Uber who was saying that, yeah, the biggest thing, the biggest frustration with taxi services is that you just don't know where it is. Like the biggest frustration is just, you don't know when it's actually going to be there to pick you up. It's kind of hit or miss. Whereas with Uber, you can see on a map exactly where it is, how far away. It, it's like it's a very simple tweak on an old, an age old problem, and it, it appeals to a particular problem, an unknown, a discomfort, and it solves that problem. In the same way, the the whole idea of hiring someone to drive you somewhere is not new; it's just a new spin on it. And so, part of what we uh, what we can do in terms of knowing whether or not we have a good idea or one that's worth spreading, again, is to get it out there. 
but also to see does it just kind of hit those check boxes? Does it kind of hit those human emotions or problems or struggles that are common and haven't aren't aren't really being addressed or at least aren't being addressed in a good way? For example, part of the re, one of the reasons why I'm not really worried about somebody stealing an idea or you know, why I'm not really worried about ideas being stolen in general, is that even if somebody does steal the idea, the execution of that idea is a large part of whether or not it will succeed or fail. For example, if Uber came out and their app didn't work half the time, or the map, you know, the map feature was buggy, or, you know, they didn't have a screening process for drivers. And I know there's even cases out there where bad things have happened. That's the exception, not the rule. But in, in, in the instance of the idea itself, it is a good idea, but it's the execution of the idea that makes all the difference. And I think that's a big part of what makes a good idea to begin with is how you implement it. So again, kind of circling back around, again, it's one of those things, knowing whether or not your idea is worth spreading, I think is going to be determined through kind of going through some of the things we mentioned previously. But an, an idea doesn't necessarily have to be something brand new. In fact, more than likely, it won't be. It can simply be uh, a spread, you know, uh, a twist or a new angle or a new solution or a, a kind of a new elegant solution for something that already exists. So one of the things I did want to touch on, because I think that I ran into this a lot with authors and their manuscripts, is that they're so afraid of having their idea for their story uh, or the book they wanted to write stolen. And so uh, I just just found a, a, an article from a while back from Seth Godin, uh, which I'll leave a link to uh, today's uh, in today's show notes, which again, you can find over at rightly.show slash 79. I just wanted to read it for you real quick. It's pretty short. And it says, it's called, When Your Ideas Get Stolen. It says, number one, it's good for you. Isn't it better that your ideas are worth stealing? What would happen if you worked all that time, created that book or that movie or that concept, and no one wanted to riff, uh, no one wanted to riff on it, expand, uh, expand it, or run with it? Would that be better? Number two, you're not going to run out of ideas. In fact, the more people grab your ideas and make magic with them, the more of a vacuum is sitting in your outbox, which means you will be prompted to come up with even more ideas. Number three, ideas that spread win. They enrich our culture, create connection, and improve our lives. Isn't that why you created your idea in the first place? The goal isn't credit. The goal is change. I love that. I feel like that's a mic drop moment, but you don't want to do that on a podcast because that would hurt everybody's (laughs) ears. Um, I love that. And the... I think it just underscores that importance of, you know, community and having having an audience, having a tribe and including other people in the process and being open and like holding things with an open hand. Because like we were talking about earlier, that oxygen feeds the flame and helps your idea to spread. Um, you've talked a bit about uh, so far about the execution of an idea and how it's unique and how one of the things that makes it spreadable is, you know, addressing addressing a problem in a unique way or addressing an old problem that just hasn't been uh, um, hasn't been addressed before. Um, in in your work, and I think specifically with this with this new project, how are you going about? that execution process how are you going about like you're 
obviously, you know, talking about it on the podcast is one way of spreading it. What are some other ways you're spreading it? And then what are some of those executions that you are working um, so that it doesn't just sit in the idea phase? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are some bigger projects I'm working on for some clients, as well as some exciting things we're doing over at Notable Themes. And so those are going to kind of take priority for the next probably couple of months. However, my plan, my execution plan in terms of this particular app is either, hey, hopefully somebody else will go out there, steal the idea and make it before I get a chance to, at which point I can just sign up for it and then check it off my to-do list. But if that doesn't happen, what I'm planning on doing is actually releasing a series of videos on Rightly TV, the YouTube channel, of me actually working on this project. Uh, so I will actually do screen cap and record. If you haven't seen any of the type of videos that I typically do, you can head on over to rightly.tv. Make sure that you subscribe over there where it will give you uh, an idea where you'll be able to see some of the kind of other videos and the way I typically do screen caps. But yeah, I'll literally cut it up. My plan is to cut it up so that it shows you particular pieces that I'm working on as I'm doing some of the wireframing, as I'm testing out some of the initial beta concepts, once I have like a basic version of the site up and running. So you can literally just, I'll obviously email my list. So you'll be able to just reply to the email and say that, uh, hey, I like this idea or that idea looks dumb or you know that looks interesting. Or for people who are just watching over there on YouTube, they can literally just leave a comment under the video and say, hey, what about this feature or that idea? So uh, it's it's just a completely different way of creating something. I want to do it publicly so that if somebody else creates it, they have all that feedback and that work kind of to pull from. If I end up taking it to its final development and release phase, I'll have a, a, a small group of people who will be right there watching me work on it who will provide invaluable feedback and ideas and thoughts uh, in terms of the product itself. And at the end of the day, as I've seen with many other startups and you know SaaS companies, the more you have a community involved in the creation of it, the more you have a, a community who's involved in the purchase and the advocacy of it as well. You have inherent and built into that process a group of people who are, re- who are re- willing and ready not only to pay for it because they've helped you make it, but also to promote it and spread it. And I think that's an important piece to this puzzle is that, again, to kind of underscore that that original point, which is that an idea is like a flame in that it will grow with oxygen. It will uh, only be snuffed out when the oxygen is removed. So that's kind of my my steps to creating this. I think it'll, it'll just be kind of interesting for people to watch, even if they're not interested in the product itself. You get to see my kind of mock-up and wireframe process kind of how I'm going to go about creating it, be able to see me kind of testing initial phases out, that sort of thing. But the idea is that pull back the curtain. We just we live in an age where information does better when it's seen by more people, uh, when it's free, when everybody has access to it. Um, so that's, that's the idea. I'm going to go through and just kind of show people the process as I'm working on it, uh, leading up to hopefully its final release. That's awesome. And I love the, like, coming back to that flame analogy, like as you invite people in and include them in this process, they become invested because they become emotionally invested and because they've invested their time, their energy, especially if they've provided feedback. And so they're like, they want to see this ship 
you know, at some point in the future along with you because you've involved them in that process and they are going to be like in- naturally incentivized to spread it because they're like, hey, here's here's this cool thing. Like I help provide feedback like this, you know, this feature is here because I, you know, emailed uh, Thomas and t- like gave him, you know, feedback specifically on like this little point, um, you know, and they, they take pride in that and they want to share that with everyone. So that's like when, when you do that, each person is like adding a log onto your fire um, and incentivizing them to then like go and spread the idea. It's like, it's like another torch. Like if you've got, if your idea is a candle and by inviting other people, you're lighting their torches and then they're able to go and spread that and they're investing it because they're carrying that along with you. Um, one thing that I thought about Thomas is as you're getting all of this feedback and your original idea, you know, progresses through these phases of development and feedback and different iterations and eventually Reese's a release date, how do you go about uh, deciding what to what to include or not include? Because there's, you know, we've talked on this show before about if you try to create a tool for everyone or if you try to make everyone happy, then nobody's happy. Um, so what is your process for, um, you know, progressing through the development phase with, you know, a eventual launch date in mind? How do you incorporate? How do you go about incorporating feedback while at the same time maintaining constraints on creative development? Yeah, so this is this is a really great point to tackle, and a, uh, it actually comes back very similar to the concept of building a brand, which, in a sense, a product is or can be a brand in and of itself. Which this kind of will be uh, this particular idea. So what we need to do first uh, is to be very clear on the goal. Right. So there's something in the brand world that's referred to as a brand essence and a brand essence is an unchanging. One of the biggest reasons that Kodak as a brand and as a company failed is because they tethered they tethered their particular product to their brand. Same thing with Blockbuster. They tethered a product to their brand. Those those brands no longer exist in large part because of the way that they 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 didn't have an underarching uh, or an overarching philosophy to the way that they did their work. Uh, it was a product and products can come and go. It would be like creating a brand that is specific to smartphones. Like we don't know in 10 years if smartphones will even be relevant. It was kind of like 10 years ago having a brand that's specific to pagers, right? So what we need to do, first of all, is come up with an overarching philosophy. What is the goal? What is this specific thing we're intending to do? So with this do next idea, uh, I'm still kind of honing this in and kind of kicking the idea around. But the whole idea is I want to make it easier to manage big projects and goals. So that's kind of the overarching idea. So if that's the goal, and again, it's kind of work in progress, what I need to do is evaluate every piece of feedback and to see, okay, ask the question, does this piece of feedback move me closer or further away from that goal? And that's kind of your North Star. That's the compass. That's the guiding factor. Somebody comes along and says, yeah, I, I really need a way to be able to add a list of uh, like check boxes under each project. I would immediately say, OK, then go download things 
or go download Todoist because that's not what this is. The way something gets watered down or becomes worse or less relevant is when we start accepting feedback that pulls you away from the original intent or meaning of that particular brand or idea or product. So that's kind of the main idea. We want to first establish that unmovable, unchanging point of creating the thing to begin with. What is the problem we're solving? How is it being solved? And then the, the particulars in terms of how we solve that problem is up for debate. That's where we get democratic. That's where we have the point where everybody has some say in the way we achieve that because uh, no idea is a bad idea so long as it's something that we're fleshing out and it moves us to that bigger goal or that bigger idea. So that's kind of the idea. That's how I would say that we would typically go about the the process of determining whether or not uh, we are uh, kind of heading in that right direction. Okay, so as always, I'd like to thank Casey so much for joining us for the program today. Again, check out Casey at CaseyProctor.com. As always, if you have something you would like to contribute to the show, if you'd like to ask a question or if just leave us some sort of comment, feel free to head on over to rightly.show slash question. You can also check out today's show notes where we've got uh, links to articles and resources and tools and all the things we talked about today over at rightly.show slash 79. Also, we do appreciate it if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We always do appreciate that as well. So until next time, go out there and create a brand that is truly rightly designed. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program. If you found it useful, please take a quick moment to leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or the medium of your choosing. 